Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. God, thank you for not only allowing us the opportunity to be your people. I mean, you created us, you have redeemed us, but you have invited us, welcomed us as your own children. And so, Father, we, we love the moment when we realize that. We love that truth that we can call you Abba, Father, and that we are loved as if we were your children, as your children. God, as you speak to us today, as we open up Scripture, we ask you to speak into every part of our lives. We ask you to move in us, to continue to move your words from our ears to our minds, to our hearts, and to our hands and feet. Continue to teach us how to love better. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, great to see you today. Thanks for uh, being here and uh, making this a part of your weekend. Thanks for those of you who are watching online. Uh, so great we get to spend this time uh, together. A couple things going on. just want to mention, uh, Brian talked quite a bit about uh, some of the, uh, the, 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 pr the service projects and things like that that are happening. want to let you know uh, that uh, there's some neat things coming up here in the, in the next little bit as well. Uh, a couple weeks away from now is our annual Christmas craft fair. That's the first Sunday of December. That's to be December 3rd this year. A great night. Fundraiser for our middle school and high school uh, summer trips, uh, but a great time because it's for a lot of us now, that is just kind of a way to kick off our holiday season and uh, we're, uh, we're excited for that moment on December 3rd. Speaking of holiday season and kicking that off, uh, we're going to actually begin that process this afternoon uh, here in the building. We are going to convert our building into, oh, our convert, that's not the right word, uh, decorate for Christmas. That's what I'm going to try, try to say. We're going to decorate our building for Christmas this week. It's a week earlier than we normally do. Uh, as I mentioned last week, if you're here, we have an opportunity next Sunday afternoon to host a, um, a, a service of remembrance, a holiday service of remembrance for our community hospice. And uh, for them to, they, they ask us if we could host it. We, we'd love for you to use our facility as an important part of the grieving process for a lot of families in our community. And because that is a holiday service, a Christmas service, uh, we're going to decorate a little bit early this year. And that's going to start this afternoon. Um, as I said many, many times before, many hands make light work. So if you can come this afternoon and give us a hand putting up the trees and the, and, uh, the decorations for Christmas, uh, we're going to start around two. If you can't be here at two, I know I can until after that. Get here when you can. This afternoon, we'll go into the hopefully early evening. We'll be all done. Uh, but if you can come and help us today, we would appreciate all the help we can get uh, putting up our Christmas decorations and getting our facility ready for uh, the, the service next week, plus, plus our celebration of Christmas um, all season long. So uh, we hope we'll see you this afternoon for that. This morning, we are wrapping up a sermon series that we've been in since uh, just past Labor Day, all fall. This is our 10th week in the Say Yes series. And the idea behind this series is that we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus, as, as Christians, as people who, who seek to follow God, people who help people find and follow Jesus, we have an opportunity to participate in the kingdom of God. And so we are saying, we, we, we've asked the question, can we say yes to this participation? God is asking us to participate in his kingdom. Now this kingdom is different than other kingdoms. This kingdom is not, not the same as the, the kingdoms of the world. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. 
This kingdom is not, when we talk about God's kingdom, it's not just the kingdom of heaven when we get to go someday. It is that, but it's more than that. It's what happens now as the church, the hands and feet of Jesus, get to function in this community as the kingdom comes here and now. Now, for me, I, I'm just going to just, let me just say some thank yous to you as a church, because this, I wasn't sure what this series was, what, what the feedback from this series was going to be from you, and it's been fantastic. It's been a great journey for me as your pastor to, to, to journey through this, these say yes, these, some of these parables. We'll look at another one of these parables today. And it's been a great reminder for me this fall of some of the things that I love most about this church and about being your pastor. One of the things that I've discovered in this process is, um, let me take a breath, because sometimes the tongue works faster than the brain, and if you know my brain, you know that's really easily possible because the brain doesn't work very fast at all. One of the things that I've remembered and, and rediscovered that I love about this church this fall is your sense of humor. Um, and here's what I mean by that, a couple of examples. Um, one of the sermons in this, early in this series, I talked about titles that people like me have as, as a pastor, as someone who works at a church, and, and I said, I've finally gotten used to being called pastor. I said, but please don't call me reverend. Well, about 45 minutes after that sermon, our webmaster put the podcast up, and it was done by Reverend Larry Sam. So you go back and find that episode, and it's on there. Uh, one of our young men, young uh, ch children in the church, uh, looked at his dad during that sermon and said, Larry gets paid for this? <laughs> I know, Max, it's hard to believe that people actually give me money to do this, right? <laughs> but then he says, I thought he just did it because he's a nice guy. Yes, I am, Max, thank you. Yes, I am a nice, nice guy. One of the other things I remember, or was another example of, of your sense of humor as a church was when we put these big letters with the lights on them up here, a lot of you started to figure out what else could we spell with these letters? Some of y'all need Jesus, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> But there's a reason that I screwed those letters into those benches, so you couldn't rearrange them for me. Uh, another thing that, that's uh, just been a beautiful reminder to me has been your response to these messages, particularly when we had our mission fair a month ago. And so many of you signed up to participate in the work of this church, participate in the kingdom through the work of this church. And we, we talk all the time about finding your place of service in or through the church. And some of you, for the very first time, um, put your name on the line and said, yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to be a part of what's going on around here. And so to you and to this congregation as a whole, to those of you who have served faithfully for years in our children's ministry, on our music teams, on our tech team, um, preparing our communion emblems, uh, fixing the coffee on Sunday mornings, uh, making sure that our events like our Christmas craft fair and the backpack for blessings thing we did this week, those things go off. Um, church, you're, you're amazing, and I love you. And I, once again, I'm just, I, I'm kind of overwhelmed this fall and just so thankful to be your pastor. Uh, let, let's, let's get in. We've got some stuff to talk about today before we, before we wrap this thing completely up. Um, Jesus taught us to pray. It's a model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we call it. Um, I'm going to put part of it up on the screen this morning. There it is. I want to see if you will read this with me, and can you finish, can you fill in the blank? Can you finish the, the, the phrase for me? Let's just pray together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've paraphrased that this month by saying, may up there come down here. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Would the kingdom of heaven, would it show up here in Tuscarawas County? Would it show up here on Pleasant Valley Road? Would it show up, would God's ideas and the way that God wants the world to work, would that happen where we live, when we live? May that happen now. 
So let me just ask one more time. What would it look like? What would it look like if Jesus' prayer was answered? What would it look like for the kingdom to come? What would be different if God's kingdom showed up at your house, in my neighborhood? What would change? And again, if you think I'm talking about a political takeover by Christians, I'm not. Can I be very, very clear about this? And the reason I'm not talking about a political takeover is because that is absolutely not what Jesus was talking about here. And by the way, those of you who are really into politics, by the way, Christians have tried to do this for centuries, and it's never worked, and it never will, because that's not the kingdom of God. That's the empire of the world. The kingdom of God is different. So that is not what Jesus is describing. Jesus, surprisingly, had very little to say about government. In fact, once Jesus said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Jesus believed that God's kingdom could grow regardless of who or what was in power. Jesus believed that God's kingdom advances through individual surrender, not through corporate political domination and power grabs. That's why we talk about things like more is less, or less is more. Though the kingdom doesn't try to, when we live in the kingdom, we're not trying to gain power, we're not trying to gain notoriety, we're trying to build other people up. And a lot of people who look at these things are beginning to believe that around the world, the state of the, the church, not just the American church, we get so confused that, that this is the whole thing, this is just a little part of the church, but the worldwide church, if people in places like Iran, North Korea, if those people were to ever experience China, true freedom, true, if the people were to experience true freedom, the rest of us Christians, especially here in the West, in places like Ohio, we would be blown away by how strong the church is in those places. And those churches in those parts of the kingdom of God will be leading the worldwide church. So what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. The great early, early church father Origen, he lived from 184 to 254, he said, Jesus is the kingdom in person. That's what the kingdom looks like. And I think we need to remember this. Because frankly, we get confused about what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like and when it comes and what it means for us. And I think this happens because we try to merge the idea of God's kingdom with our own idea of kingdom. And God's kingdom and our little kingdoms get all mixed up together and it just creates this big mess of bad theology and bad ideas and people doing bad things in the name of Jesus. I've been using this phrase for a few years now, empire versus kingdom. It helps me realize when I'm talking about the kingdom, I'm talking about God's kingdom. When I'm talking about political power or corporate power or patriarchal power, I'm talking about an empire. I'm not talking about the kingdom. So when I speak of kingdom, I'm talking about what God wants to do. When I speak of empire, I think of the many different empires that we try to build for ourselves, empires that we find oftentimes competing for the prior agenda of the kingdom of God. Now we do this, we don't necessarily mean to do this, we don't have a, 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 a 
any ill intent in mind. We just slip into this sometimes. But we try to build these empires in all different areas of our lives. We try to build the empire of our careers. Maybe you, if you own a company or work in a company, you're trying to build the empire of your company. Uh, we see empires being built in government and in politics and, yeah, even in religion. Even churches, even well-meaning churches can get so focused on building the empire of that church or the brand of that church or of the pastor or of the program of that church that they find, actually find themselves in competition with the kingdom of God. And I've seen it happen. I've been guilty of it happening. There was an executive who was meeting with a career, his career counselor, someone he spoke with, someone trusted, and he told his career counselor that his wife was threatening to leave him if he did not quit his current job and get a job that allowed him the flexibility and the freedom to spend more time at home, spend more time with his family. But up to that point, even though she had made these threats, up to this point when he's sitting down with his career counselor, he had not even looked for another job. He would not even really seriously considered the prospect of finding another job. And as he talked this through, talked this out with his counselor, he kind of expected that the career counselor was going to suggest strategies for, here's, here's some ways to better communicate with your wife, here's some problem-solving techniques, here's some ways to diffuse, that's what he was looking for, some just practical things to do to, to diffuse the situation. Well, this counselor, who was very wise, listened to him very carefully. And then she asked him a very simple question. Do you want your wife to leave you? Because that's really what the issue was on the table. Do you want your wife to leave you? And this executive stared out the window for a very long time, then looked back at the counselor and said, I guess I do. The counselor later said that conversation was one of the many conversations that helped her coin a phrase, something that she calls the doctrine of the prior agenda. That's when we claim on the surface to be pursuing one thing, but inwardly and sometimes secretly and privately, we are actually pursuing another thing. I think a lot of us would say, especially, I mean, we are, you're in church on a Sunday morning. Most of us would say, I want to pursue God's kingdom. I want to say yes to this kingdom. That's what I want to be about. That's what I want to do. But we've got other kingdoms, other empires that we're pursuing, other priorities that we're chasing in our lives, and we relate to God's kingdom in a superficial way, a false way. The doctrine of the prior agenda. That's why we know that Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. But if we look back at our recent days, our decisions, our choices we've made, how we've spent our money, it's really hard to find one sometimes that suggests we're seeking God's kingdom first. Deep down, we have that prior agenda that's competing with God's kingdom. So let up there, come down here. Let the kingdom show up in you and in me and in us. And let's be honest about where we're starting from today. When Jesus speaks about God's kingdom, I think we're tempted to believe that it's symbolism, that it's a philosophy or an idea, but it's not. It's a real kingdom. And God is a real king, and there is real authority in his kingdom. And we're going to see Jesus express and exercise that authority here in just a moment. 
So today, as we wrap this up, I want to look at one more of these stories that Jesus tells, these parables from the New Testament. These stories that Jesus tells to help us understand what the kingdom of God is and how it works and what it looks like and what it can look like in our lives. The key, key character, the main character in this parable is a king. He's the king of an entire nation. And the king invites people to come to the wedding of his son, the prince. But shockingly, they stubbornly refuse to attend the wedding. Let's walk through this story together. This is Matthew chapter 22. If you've got your Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me as I read it. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. They snubbed the king. It's an intentional insult. It's rebellion. You know, some people have been, through, I've got all kinds of problems today. Some people have been invited um, to the White House, have made a very public issue of saying, I re I'm not coming, I'm not going to do that. They've been what they intend to do when they say they're not going to go to the White House is saying, I don't respect the person in the White House. That's what these people were saying to this king in this story that Jesus tells in Matthew 22. I'm not coming to your son's wedding. I don't respect you. I don't care what you think. I'm not coming. I don't want to be there. So get the picture. A king's son, a prince, is getting married. He's invited the people to come, but people are refusing to do so. I read about this man in Toronto a couple years ago who was invited to a friend's wedding in Ireland. Great honor to be invited to his friend's wedding, but the wedding was across the ocean. So he received an invitation in the mail, and on the invitation, it said that the wedding was in Ireland, and the wedding was going to take place on July the 7th. The problem was he received his invitation to the wedding on July the 6th, one day away. And despite the enormous cost of a last-minute overseas flight, despite all the inconvenience that, it, that, it, that went along with it, he bought the expensive ticket and showed up at the church the next day for his friend's wedding, which is when he learned that the card he'd received in the mail was a save-the-date card for the wedding that was going to happen July 7th of the next year. He was not a very good reader. <laughs> he was a very good friend. <laughs> Why did he do that? because he realized what an honor it was to be invited to his friend's wedding. But those invited to the wedding of the prince in Jesus' story considered it an inconvenience, an imposition. They didn't care what the king thought. They made plans to skip it. But this king, this king in Jesus' story, he's so patient. He's so gracious he offers his people, the people he invited to his son's wedding, he offers the people of his kingdom another chance to change their minds. He sends out a second invitation. Look at verse 4. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and fatted cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others, <laughs> this takes a weird turn, others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. So the invitation is ignored. Some of the king's messengers are mistreated and some are even murdered. 
You know, when I look at these people in this story who have their own stuff going on, their own businesses, their own farms, who say, I don't really have time for the king, I have to wonder how many times does God see us like that? Unresponsive, uninterested, inconvenienced. God offers so many invitations to us, and some of us have, very, have gotten very, very comfortable saying, no, 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 I don't have time for that. I got, I got other things to do. Now, there, there's, there's a broad application to this principle, but there's a specific action, ac- application which we will actually participate in before we leave here today, and that's the Eucharist, the, the communion table, the Lord's Supper. That is a feast for the people of God. That's why we do that every week in this room. It is a feast for the people of God. God is inviting people to acknowledge and to worship his son. But you know, a lot of people are just really casual about not being around the table. And God invites us to do it weekly. So let me ask this. What's your go-to excuse when you say no to God? These people had land to work, they had businesses to tend to, they had empires to grow and to build. I think for most of us, it's the claim that we're too busy. Several years ago now, it's actually, it's gone off, but the, uh, the, a couple of entre- entrepreneurs a few years ago created a website that was called gotthisthing.com. And you subscribe to their website, and they use the, the phrase, got this thing, that a lot of people use when they're trying to get out of something. Oh, I got this thing. I can't make it. And so what you do is you pay the money to the website. They link up with your Google calendar. Somebody invites you to do something. You pull it up. Oh, no, sorry. Like, I got this thing. And whatever the thing is shows up on your calendar. I, I can't do it because I got this thing. I can't do all the things. I think that's how a lot of us relate to God. We're we're not really too busy, but our default response is, oh, God, I can't. I, I got this thing. I, I, I got too many things. Uh, be in church every week. Not, if I'm not out of town, I'm sorry, God, you know. I, I mean, I know, God, you said don't forsake the gathering of the, of the church, but this, I got this thing, and I might have a thing, and I can't make it that, I can't make that kind of commitment. Serve as a volunteer, finding my place of service in or through the church. Well, well that means that somebody would put me on a schedule. And that means they would count on me being there. I'm sorry, Lord. I just, I hate to lock myself in. I got to keep my options open, you know, in case a better offer comes down. I got this thing. And my kids, they got all the things. I wonder sometimes if our incessant busyness doesn't look like spiritual laziness when God sees it. And I think that can have enormous negative impact on our spiritual lives. And consider verses of scripture like this one. This is Colossians chapter one. So I think if we paid attention to verses like this, it would change something in me. It would move me in God's direction. Here's what Paul writes in Colossians 1. For he, talking about God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. What a great reminder to me that God has run a rescue mission for me. And the price that he was willing to pay to move me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son was the price of his own son. He rescued me and made me a part of his kingdom. That deserves a response from me, but sometimes I act like it doesn't make any difference to me. Well, in the parable, in the story, the king invites and is ignored, and then the king invites again, and the messengers are mistreated and killed. Eventually, in the story, the king retaliates with an army. It's, he's infuriated. It's a righteous anger, but he doesn't give up. And rather than just scrapping the plans, isn't that what a lot of us would have done? Oh, you don't want to come to my party? Fine, I'm just not going to have a party. 
This is not what the king does. Instead of scrapping the plans, he changes the guest list. Look at verse 8. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor because they were unresponsive to the invitation. So now go out to the street corners. Did your mom ever talk to you about the people on the street corners? <laughs> That's not a good connotation, is it? Go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. Don't interview them. Don't find out what their qualifications are. Don't look into what their net worth is. You don't have to vet them, what positions, important positions they have or don't have. Invite everyone, the king says. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. You got to love that. It's like God saying, well, if the cool kids don't have time for me, then I'm going to invite all the nerds and all the outcasts and all the undesirables all the untouchables I'll invite the people that society thinks are unimportant maybe you've heard about this woman out in California back in 2015 her name was Quinn Duane five days before her wedding her fiance got cold feet and called off the wedding Quinn and her parents had already invested <laughs> $35,000 in the wedding I have two daughters. I'm not looking forward to this. 35 grand in the plans for the wedding, the reception. And since they were only five days out, they had contracts they could not get out of. They could not count cancel. So they had to do the flowers. They had to pay the caterer. They had to pay the entertainers. The ballroom was booked and paid for in a swanky hotel in downtown Sacramento, California. All the money was already spent. So guess what they did? They killed her fiance and had a very fancy funeral. <laughs> <laughs> no, instead they threw a party for the homeless in Sacramento. And the parents of the bride arrived early in their formal wear. And they shook hands and hugged the necks of the people who walked into the party. And they listened to their stories. And they had a great meal. And when it was all over, people who felt sorry for them said, well, how'd it go? And they said, it was one of the best evenings of our entire life. One of the best things we've ever done. I wonder if they knew just how much like Jesus they were when they did that. Because that's what the king in Jesus' parable does. Jesus is telling this story to people who think that they have the right to get the first invitation to the banquet. And Jesus is saying, because, because you won't come to the table, because you won't come and participate in the kingdom of God's son, because you won't come and celebrate God's son, God is going to invite people that you would never expect to be there. I love the phrase there in verse 10 that we just read, the good and the bad alike. If I were to ask you, which category would you put yourself in? The good or the bad? Some of us would say, well, I'm certainly in the, I'm certainly in the bad category. Oh, no, I'm in the good category. Here's what I've discovered about me and about a lot of people that I know. The longer I follow Jesus, the longer I try to live like Jesus, the more I understand what Jesus has done for me, the more I learn God's word, the more I participate in the kingdom of God, I notice that we all start to put ourselves in the bad category 
And here's why. Because the more I understand Jesus, the more I realize how unworthy of this invitation I am. I realize how much I don't deserve what's being offered. We all realize what Scripture says, that no one is righteous, not even one. We realize that no one is earning their way into this feast. No one is buying their way into this kingdom. No one deserves to go to this feast that God is throwing in honor of his son. I love that picture of God's kingdom and God's invitation. Have you ignored that invitation up till now? I mean, you're in church today, you're not even sure how you got here, but here you are and you think, I did not ever think I would be here. Well, it's not good to ignore God, but do you realize that God is inviting you to his feast in spite of that? That God is inviting you to his feast despite the fact that you don't deserve it, that you can't buy your way in, you can't earn your way in. You say, well, no, I've chased the wrong kind of pleasure in your life. You've chased the wrong kind of treasure in your life. You've been more worried about an empire than the kingdom in your life. That's not good, but listen, you're still invited. You're still invited to this feast. As a matter of fact, if you think you're, you're the king of those who are in the bad category, if you keep expecting the roof to cave in because you're in church on a Sunday morning, listen to me, you're invited. You're invited to this feast. You're invited into this kingdom. And just so you know, in case you're ever wondering, this church, this church has been and will continue to be for everyone, the good and the bad, the left out, the stood up, the passed over, the overachiever, the addict, the ultra-successful. This is a place for everyone. The good and the bad alike are welcome. Even those whose bad behavior is known by everyone. Even those whose bad behavior is hidden to most. Well, we got to finish this story because Jesus does. And the last few lines of this parable are surprising. That's not a good enough word. They are disturbing. They, Jesus, this is, this is weird. Because the way Jesus ends this story is going to sound like a contradiction to everything that he said up to this point. Because in the last few lines of the parable, a man is kicked out of the wedding feast for what appears to be the most bizarre reason inappropriate attire he's wearing the wrong clothes and gets kicked out of the party watch what happens verse 11 but when the king came in to meet the guest he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding friend he asked how is it that you're here without wedding clothes but the man had no reply then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him out into the utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, hold on a second. How could that possibly be? Everything about this parable, everything about this message is that everyone is welcome, right? Everyone's welcome to come. That's the point that Jesus is making. You need to know something about the context of the first century in the culture where Jesus is telling the story. When a king threw a great banquet, guess what he did? He provided the clothes for the people to wear. He clothed them. 
Not only did you get to go to the feast, you got a new outfit to wear at the, at the feast because he wanted everyone to be appropriately dressed. He provided the clothing for them. So this is not a man who was unable to buy the right clothing for the event. This was a man who was unwilling to be prepared and properly clothed for the event, which is a great reminder for all of us. None of us can join God's kingdom on our own terms. We don't get to set the bar on this. God does. God is gracious. He accepts everyone. He welcomes everyone, but he does not invite you, and he does not invite me to create our own terms for how he welcomes us. He expects all of us to be clothed properly. And guess what the Bible says about how we are clothed? Galatians 3 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of us who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. When you and I allow the old self to be buried and the new self to come alive, Jesus Christ and his righteousness clothe us. Scripture says in Revelation 19 that there is a great wedding feast of the Lamb and you and I will be properly clothed because of Jesus Christ's righteousness that is given to us when we believe in him and we humbly get into water and are baptized into Christ. There's a great hymn that we sing around here from time to time that I think captures this so well. Can I share these words as a close? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name when he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. Now get this last line. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless standing before the throne. That's our king. Let me pray for you. If our communion team will take their places. God, here we are. Uh, the tired, the broken, the guilty, uh, the liar, the thief, the addict, the outcast, the left out, the stood up, the passed over, the one who's hidden our sins, the one who has not. Here we are, all of us, sinners. And somehow by your grace and by your love, we are here at the wedding banquet, invited, included, accepted, forgiven. Rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. So now we celebrate that as we gather around your table and unite our lives with the body and the blood of Christ.